I normally like solitude and I like uh, kind of like being alone, being alone with uh, with uh, mountains. It's, it makes sense on the way that it's this feeling, like this feeling of feeling very small, it's, it's really interesting, I think, and, and facing yourself. We are so much about we want to leave a legacy or we want to, to be remembered or we want to do something important. And then nothing we do is important. Like, and I think when you realize that we are not important and what we do is not important, then you realize how wonderful it is. That's Killian Jornet, and this is the Ritual Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? What's happening? My name is Rich Roll. I'm your host. Welcome to the show, to the podcast. Good to have you here today. As the saying, the adage goes, never meet your heroes. And I understand the sensibility behind that piece of advice, but uh, from time to time, I choose to ignore it. And in the case of today's guest, I'm so glad I did because Killian Journey truly one of the greatest, if not the greatest living athlete, somebody who inspires me and inspires millions of other people all across the world. This guy really lives up to the hype. We had a tremendous conversation. He's beautiful, he's humble. And it was a real treat because he doesn't do a lot of long form type press or media. And I'm so excited to share it with you guys in a couple few. But first let's take care of a little business, shall we? We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover. 
that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Okay, Killian. Oh, Killian. All you ultra runners out there, you know what I'm talking about. You get where I'm coming from. But hey, if you never heard of this guy, that's okay. Don't feel bad because I'm going to tell you all about him. Killian is perhaps the most prolific and successful professional sky runner, trail runner, ski mountaineer, 
and long distance runner. He's a six-time champion of the long distance running Skyrunner World Series. And he's the winner of some of the most prestigious ultra marathons on earth, including the UTMB Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, the Grand Raid, Western States, the Hard Rock 100, and so many more. In fact, this is a guy who won so many ultra races so readily that he started looking for different kinds of challenges, unique challenges outside of formal competition just to keep things fresh for himself. And that's what ultimately led him to this self-styled adventure series that he calls the Summits of My Life Project, which essentially involves Killian picking off FKT records, which means setting the fastest ever recorded times to ascend and descend some of the world's most challenging peaks, including the Matterhorn, Mont Blanc, Denali, the Bob Graham Round, which you might recall I discussed with Ross Edgley recently, and Mount Everest. Yes, that Everest. Killian set the fastest recorded time, 26 hours from base camp, uh, which is a feat that he accomplished without supplemental oxygen or ropes, and then repeated six days later from slightly higher up on the mountain. It's insane. It's a feat that led National Geographic to name him Adventurer of the Year, which is beautifully chronicled in a new documentary called Path to Everest, which you can download from summitsofmylife.com or on Vimeo, and I'll put links up to the documentary on the episode page on my website. Uh, Killian is also the author of Run or Die, which is an amazing read, and more recently, a book called Summits of My Life, Daring Adventures on the World's Greatest Peaks. Uh, and that book really beautifully illustrates all of his awe-inspiring feats and accomplishments. So this is a conversation about many things, his life, his training, his racing, but essentially it's about what drives him, how his happiness derives not from results, but from immersion in nature and adventure and living outside of his comfort zone. We talk training routines, of course, and just to give you a sense of <laughs> what a savage this guy is. In December, he tweeted that in 2018, a year in which he had three injuries and took three whole months off, Killian still managed to put in 804 hours of training with 1,521,000 feet of elevation gain of climbing. Uh, and this was apparently the least <laughs> that Killian has trained since 2006. What can I say? Uh, Killian is amazing in some respects, otherworldly, but also refreshingly humble and grounded, somebody who lives a very simple life and in many ways is a minimalist, which is an ethic and an aesthetic that I think carries into the simple purity of his pursuits, you know, minimal gear and this very real and profound love and deep respect for the environment. Uh, in any event, I really enjoyed talking to him. So without further ado, I give you the great Killian Journey. Well, I'm sure you'd rather be up in the mountains just over the way right now than sitting here in a studio. This is like, I think we have, how many people do we have in here? This is the biggest yeah, crowd I've ever had for doing the podcast here. I'm like, wow, we're performing for an audience today. Um, I've wanted to meet you for a very long time. You're a huge inspiration to me and uh, I'm just delighted to talk to you. So I appreciate you taking time out. Uh, you're in, you just got in, you just told me you've been in like 20 different places in the last like two weeks or something like that. Your time code must be completely upside down. 
Yeah, no, but I think it's good because we are changing like time zone every day. It's good because you you don't know where where, right. where you are or when you are. <laughs> so like you don't feel any jet lag. It's just like the 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 motto these days is like if you have ten minutes and you can sleep sleep because you don't right. know when it will be the next time. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, if there's anybody who can endure uh, endure this, I think it's you. So you're 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 uh, perfectly suited to be able to manage that kind of crazy schedule. Um, and first of all, before we even get into it, like congratulations, you have a baby coming on the way. Yeah, thank yeah. you, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, probably, yeah, exciting and scary in the same way, but uh, yeah, really, it, uh, yeah, looking forward, I think like we need, we'll need to work in logistics the next year, yeah. Yeah, things are gonna change a little bit, I would imagine. Yes yeah. or no? You're looking at me like, no, they're not going to change. Yeah, no, like, yeah, of course, like, they will change. And especially, like, because both uh, me and, and Emily, my my girlfriend, like, we both do the same lifestyle. So, like, uh, we will need to decide, like, who is racing which race so the other can, like, be babysitting right. when the other racing. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is a little bit of an adjustment, I would imagine, because for people that are listening, I mean, Emily is an incredibly accomplished ultra runner in her own right. You guys were just in Nepal, right? And she was doing FKTs like recently. Yeah, actually, she was uh, this summer, like she was doing some FKTs in 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 some uh, four thousand meter summits in the Alps, like Mont Blanc and and Mont Rose, and and then like she was doing some like long distance run, like a 300 mile run in in Sweden, wow. and all this when she was pregnant, like she didn't know at the time, but uh -huh. and and yeah, we were in Nepal now, like and she was just climbing up to to 5,000 meters, so 17 uh, uh, hundred uh, feet, and yeah, no, she was feeling good, yeah. Right. So five and a half months pregnant, so that means sometime this winter. Yeah, 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 it will be winter, baby. That's uh, that's good. Like to start like uh -huh. in the cold. Does that change how you think about risk and how you calculate? You know the challenges that you want to undertake. It's uh, like it's hard to to know because like risk, like risk is nothing that it's objective. It's something that is very subjective. Like it's it's uh, it's more a feeling that that. Uh, that um, mathematics thing and uh, I think it changed all the time like sometimes uh, you go to to take uh, to to do a climb uh, and like you always calculate okay it's it's these objective things like it can be avalanche or it can be like a select falling or crevasses or like the technical mm -hmm. skills you need and then you decide if you are, yeah, if you can do it or not. But then it's something, a feeling that sometimes, like, you say, I can do that, but I don't feel for it. Right. And other times it's like, okay, I feel that it's, I'm in the flow and I can do all this. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's many things that affect that and, and probably, like, uh, having a baby can change that. But then I have friends that they have babies and they continue doing the same. So mm -hmm. I think I will need to discover when it comes. Yeah, I think you'll know when it happens. It's hard to anticipate, as somebody who has four kids, it's hard to anticipate beforehand. But then when the event occurs, there's something that changes, I think, in your, in your I don't know, your emotional being or your, you know, your sense of self that, that like everything that you do has an impact on this other person. Like when you're talking about risk, um, calculation, it's very much an internal, uh, it sounds like you're, you're just calculating this internally. Like, how do I feel? How do I feel like I can, what, you know, whether I can handle this or not, but then 
in the back of your mind thinking, well, there's this other person who's relying on me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to whether that will impact that or maybe not, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting, I think, because like uh, when you, yeah, as you say, like we don't know like how it will affect and because, yeah. it's, because it's a feeling. It's not like saying, okay, we'll have a kid. So like uh, I will not do that or I will do that because you don't know how you will feel. And at the end, like you can calculate uh, and take a, a reasonable decision of doing a thing. But then the feeling it will say someday like no like it's it looks so cool I need to go there mm -hmm. even if it's this uh, yeah this possibility of a risk you anyway need to go and um, yeah yeah I think I will yeah I will see yeah, yeah. <laughs> you will find out soon um, well within the world of multi sport and endurance and ultra endurance I mean everybody knows who you are, they know your accomplishments, but there's a lot of people that listen to this that, that don't necessarily come from that world, um, but perhaps they became familiar with you because of uh, the Everest um, expedition that you went on in 2017. So can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that made headlines across the world um, in a five or six day period, you, you summited twice. Um, so I want to, uh, walk through that. Um, but maybe even before that specifically, um, how did you prepare for that? How did you wrap your head around, um, getting ready to do something like that? And what was it that you were seeking to accomplish? Well, I think, um, the preparation is, uh, it's like a long one and a short one. Would say the long one. It starts like very, very long time ago when uh -huh. I was like probably three, three or two years old. Yeah. So like I think it's it's not that you decide okay uh, next week I want to go to Everest and uh, what I do or, or like next month or next year, but like you need to have a, a background or like a, a long period of training before before uh, being able to to do some things. It's like uh, when you race, like it's not that you decide okay I want to to one like Western stage or hard rock and, and you start preparing and the month after you are able. But uh, I was starting when I was a kid to go to the mountains and to, to start to do like long days out, then racing. So it was like during, I has been training for more than 15 years. Like, yeah, the last 15 years I has been training at least 1000 hours a right. year. So that's the like the background. And then on top of that, during the last um, the last uh, two months before going to to Everest, it was more specific preparation. Mm -hmm. So actually, the 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 different thing compared to only endurance training or like more technical climbs, it was to prepare to be really confident and to be really comfortable in situations that you are not supposed to be comfortable. Yeah. So, for example, like uh, I was saying, okay, if uh, uh, some problem arrives up there, I will be by myself and I will have uh, not any help. So I need to, to be able to, yeah, to take the good decisions. And for that, like I was going to train home and to, to do very long days, like sometimes like 15, 20 or more hours alone and in some situations that they were a bit risky, like uh, that I needed to be always in tension for avalanche or for things mm -hmm. and to put myself in the in the really like uh, limit on my technical skills to be always in this 
yeah, tension situation and to be able to, to take decisions uh, on a reasonable way and not to let the motion to interfact on that, yeah. Right, so on some level, it's a natural progression of everything that you've been doing your whole life since you were three years old, since as long as you can remember. Like, I think there was a quote where somebody said, how long did it take you to prepare? And you're like, well, my whole life, right? This is, yeah. this is your life, yeah. And uh, as somebody who's been training, you know, 1,000, 1,200 hours in the mountains, you know, per year for many, many, many years, um, it seemed to make sense as the culminating point of this, you know, summits of my life thing that you were doing. Uh, but I would imagine there were specific things around a client, like you're somebody who, who, I mean, you have a, your resting heart rate's like 34 or something like that. You have a crazy mm -hmm. VO2 max, like 92, right? Like yeah, 2012, yeah. I mean, for perspective, like I think Lance Armstrong's was 85, like it's mm -hmm. crazy high. So you have these, you know, these, these perhaps genetic or, or created gifts that have, um, that are a result of the training that you've done and your upbringing. But there were also, I would imagine, specific things that you had to do to get ready for acclimatizing, even though you acclimatize better than most people. Um, and I think I read you, you were training with like oxygen deprivation or like masks on on the bike and on the treadmill and things like that to try to expedite your ability to to acclimate once you got there? Yeah, well, well, as you said, acclimatization is something very important before expedition, and especially uh, like the goal of the of the whole thing, it was to try like to, to don't spend too much time in, uh, in the mountain, like in, in the travel. Mm -hmm. uh, first for two things, because I like to do many things, so like racing and, and, and climbing and skiing. So I didn't want to spend like three, four months in, in in a base camp like just sitting right and and then because like i think if you arrive acclimatized in a in a mountain like uh, you are fresher like uh, uh mentally so you keep the motivation and and also you are physically uh stronger because you you came from home you has been eating well it's not like you are in a base camp just eating uh fried rice like for right. two months and then mm -hmm. like so uh, the goal was to arrive in the mountain already acclimatized. And for that, uh, I, I have been doing the last uh, five years different uh, expeditions and trying different things. Uh, most of them didn't work. And this year, I think we we finally get what, what worked. And actually, it was like home before uh, departing. We were spending like around 300 hours in altitude. So both right. sleeping, like in the night we were sleeping in a in a epoxy tent uh -huh. at uh, six thousand meters, and then uh, during the days in the morning I was doing my normal training like uh, five to ten hours in the mountain, and in the afternoon I was doing like one one hour every day very intense like uh, I will say like in the in the threshold or like even higher, like uh, anaerobic uh, intervals during one hour at uh, 6,000 meters elevation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you, could you feel the difference when you got there? Did you feel like you had, you know, expedited the process of being comfortable at that kind of altitude? Yeah, it was, it was cool because like normally the first day you arrive at 6,000 meters uh, coming from, from Europe, you arrive in the mountains and like you see like, okay, yeah, I feel like shit. 
right. and that time it was like at 6,000 meters, first day we were able to run, and like three days after coming to to Tibet, we were able to climb to 7,000 meters and feeling good. So it was a huge difference, I think, to feel yeah, acclimatized yeah, yeah. for 6,000. Yeah. yeah, so for for most people that attempt Everest, it, it, there's a period of weeks where they're kind of inching their way up and getting used to it and all of that so that they can be as safe as possible for the summit. Mm-hmm. And you're compressing that into literally a number of days. And so how long were you there before you're like, okay, you know, tonight's gonna be the night? Yeah, like uh, we were actually before going to Everest. Like uh, I, I fly from Europe uh, with uh, Emily, and and we were going to show you that it's a right. mountain just by mm-hmm. the side, uh, a thousand meter summit. So we were going there, and we spent like uh, ten days in show you, and then uh, so I reached uh, uh, I don't think the summit, but the summit plateau. Mm-hmm. Uh, so around eight thousand two hundred meters, um, and then. I was driving to to Everest Base Camp, just like a couple of hours from there. And then it took like uh, one week to feel ready. So yeah. I would say like uh, between two to three weeks period is where, like if you are acclimatized from right. home, like you right, need. Right, yeah. right, right. And right beforehand, I, <laughs> were you like running up, you know, a thousand meter uh, ascents, like in under an hour, like getting ready? Like people were like, what are you doing? Mm. Yeah, like I I think like it's it's cool to do things and, and especially life in base camp it's very very boring. Like you are sitting in a wonderful place, like you have beautiful mountains all mm-hmm. around, and you are sitting in a tent doing nothing. Like that's not like what I want <laughs> that, to do. That's there. not you, yeah. No, so like okay, you need to rest. Like uh, like the year before, I wanted to do everything like everything every day so I was doing uh-huh. a lot every day and then like after one week I was completely destroyed right so this year okay I say okay I will need to rest a bit but we figure out like one day resting one day activity it's enough uh-huh. so yeah the like it was a one day off and then the other day like you could like if you are well acclimatized like I think going up to 8,000 meters it's it's not this hard like and you can run up and mm-hmm. or like Mm, you can walk slowly up and run down kind of, but right. uh, it's fine, yeah. And so the first attempt, it, you decide to start at like 5,100 meters, right? Yeah. Which is lower than than where most people start. Yeah, like normally. Like at the temple, right? Yeah, normally people like start from the, like the, the final push that it takes a, a few days from uh, ABC, Advanced Base Camp, that right. that's at, uh, at the feet of the mountain at 6,300 meters. But uh, actually to get there, it's a long, long hike. Uh, it's like uh, maybe th- 13 miles. And from Rombuk, it's where the road ends, like it's a, right. it's a, a road that finishes there. So I wanted to like the goal of the of the whole expedition. It was not to set a FKT uh, FKT in, in the mountain because like it's you cannot talk about FKT in these high mountains because conditions and style uh, make huge difference. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was mostly to try to go from the last village to the summit and back, and only with uh, yeah my means like carrying all the gear I needed and not having any assistance because then I wanted to know if I was able to climb the mountain by myself or if I wasn't. Right. So there's a, there's, you know, the spirit behind all of this is a sense of purity. Like 
that infuses everything that you do, which is, first of all, like, can it be done? And can it be done without all of the gear? Like, how, how minimal can this be accomplished, right? Just with man and mountain and nothing else. Yeah, like, I think, like, as animals, we are a mammal, and, and we are a very bad adapted animal to the mountains. Uh-huh. Like, because, like, as you see, like, you can see like the fastest man on earth, like Usain Bolt, he runs like around 40 kilometers an hour, 400 meters, and that's probably like what a cow can run. Uh, so like we are by far not a fast animal. And if you see in the mountains, like you, we were in, in, in Nepal or in Tibet and you see the yaks, and like we are there like with down jackets and we need to eat a lot to, to keep uh, fitness in altitude. And you see this yak that is staying there for weeks. He eats one time a week, like, just a uh, hand of grass. He's not drinking anything. He's not cold. This is like you, though. Ah, uh, yeah, no, we. I, I'm very far from there. So, like, <laughs> yeah. so, like, w- we need to have some gear. We need mm. to have some that, but to try to get as close as we are as an animal to climb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all right. So the first attempt from 5,100 meters, you make it to the summit. Tw- and back down 26 hours? Uh, up, up 26 up, hours. Up 26 yeah. hours, okay. Yeah. And no ropes, no supplemental oxygen. Um, unbelievable. Like, what was the, the hardest part of that for you? Mm, well, like, uh, the hardest thing in the first lesson is that I, I feel like uh, I had uh, stomach problems. Yeah, you ate something bad, right? Yeah, yeah, like... Uh, um, I eat something bad probably the day before, like uh, in the base camp. So at the beginning, I was feeling okay for a few hours, but then I started to have like um, diarrhea and vomiting. So I decided to stop eating to avoid that. But then, like, uh, energy goes low. So, like, during uh, the last uh, hours uh, to the summit, it was very, very slow. And it's not like uh, it's not hard in a way that uh, uh, up there, like it's more like only two decisions. Like you are saying, okay, is this gonna kill me? And if it's yes, then you turn. Mm-hmm. And if it's no, then you continue. So like, I but was why suffering. not bail when your stomach's turning on you and say, look, I'll just do this. You know, I'll I'll go reboot and do it again another day. Like to, the, yeah. that decision to continue. Put, I mean, were you too far into it? Or what was the decision to persist? <laughs> yeah, mostly it's like it's very long, like from Rombo yeah. until you get to the mountains. Like it's these thirteen miles in the moraine. It's it's painful. Like it's it's not fun. So then I was there and I was like almost when I decided, okay, now it it will be hard. Uh-huh, but uh, I'm not I was die. At, yeah, yeah, that's and then I was uh-huh. at eight thousand meters, so it's like, okay, should I go all the way back and start it again like a couple of days or like anyway, like I'm here. Uh, it's I will go slow, but I will not die and somehow it will be some fun. Uh-huh. So why not to continue and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fun for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's a special fun, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you do that, but then I presume because of that stomach illness or a sense of uh, knowing that you could do it faster or better, you make this decision to go once again. Yeah, it was um, it was uh, funny. Like I was going down from the first summit and during the downhill, I, I was thinking, okay, like we still have like five days till the plane leaves from Lhasa to home. So we had some extra days in the base camp. 
is nothing to do in the base camp. So instead of like uh, packing during one week, like it was like, I was thinking, okay, uh, why not to try to go up again? N not for the doing a, a fast time because I knew that I will be very tired mm -hmm. after this first ascent. But also it would be, it started to interest like if it would be possible to recover fast and to see how this recovery affects and yeah. to see if it, yeah, if it was possible. Yeah. And from, from what I understand is, uh, you know, being somebody who's never attempted anything like that, but people who, who really understand this, that's the most miraculous aspect of all of this, which is that it generally takes somebody weeks to kind of recover from an experience like that before they're prepared or physiologically ready to attempt another summit. But just literally days later, you decide to go again. And I think it speaks to your natural ability to recover more quickly than the average human being on some level. But also, like, what is that like? Did you just felt like internally you did a gut check and you're like, I'll be fine. I feel good. Yeah, I think it was, um, I felt, I felt okay. Like, uh, you feel tired, but it's like, okay, yeah, I, I can move. So, um, but mostly I think the recovery, uh, it's because we had done been long in the mountain. So like, uh, as I said before, like with the fast, uh, acclimatization and with the, uh, being like short travels, like we were there and I was still mm -hmm. fresh on kind of like motivation and like healthy, like strong. And in the other side, like I never slept high in the mountain, like all the nights I spent, it was always uh, maximum, it was 6,300 meters. So like not sleeping high, uh, it makes a big impact right. for the for the recovery. Then you need to be able to go to the summit, like from, so do a long elevation from 6,000 meters. So it's, it's very long days, but it's good nights. Uh -huh. So that makes also good for recovery. And yeah, like during the second ascent, like I was feeling uh, tired, like normally, but uh, it was, I think it was better than what I expected. Like I was able to, to uh -huh. kind of walk. Was there anybody in your your contingent, your group of people, who who pulled you aside and said maybe you should wait a little bit longer, oh. or did they just trust you that you know yourself? Well, like this group of people, it was only one person. Oh, so you, <laughs> was, that was it, yeah, right? That was it. So it was a seven task. <laughs> so uh -huh. that was it. Was it's just it's your good, filmmaker, yeah. the filmmaker. Yeah, right? it's just uh -huh. uh, yeah, it was him and and me. And the good thing is, like, we didn't have uh, like kind of much internet or anything. Yeah or sad phone. So it was like, I was only just sending like, uh, maybe uh, every few days, like a message to my team or my family uh -huh. saying, okay, everything is okay. We are, right. we are good. So we didn't have much input. No, so. you have more people with you here today than you did on yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah and yeah. that second time up, the conditions were worse, right? There, there was, it was snowing and windier. Yeah, it, it was supposed to be the best day in the summer or in the spring. Like uh -huh. uh, all the like big groups like uh, Adrian Bellinger, uh, they were uh, climbing the that day. Uh, uh, also like the the Swiss expedition, um, uh, Corey, uh, Carrie Cobbler, they were climbing this day. So they were saying that's the day it's marked right. to be the best one on the on the season. So I was saying, okay, that's that's cool, yeah. And then we started climbing, 
and the the bad weather was coming faster than than supposed uh, and because I, I didn't have any radio or any kind of communication uh, with the others uh, they could not tell me mm-hmm. and then like I, I saw like it was okay the, the sky is a bit more wide and but uh, it was windy but but not that bad like it's not wind that it, it throws you away the face right. so yeah right and uh and so you summit um and this time you started from advanced base camp right so that was like 6500 yeah, yeah this time much. yeah actually after the first summit i was going down to the base camp um then actually we you got lost y- yeah or yeah no that that the second time but the yeah after the first time like we were packing everything to get ready for leaving Lasa because I knew, okay, if I go back to the summit, like it will be super speed after. Uh-huh. So we pack everything and then we went up to ABC to 1600. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't have any tent there, but it was uh, uh, Alpenglow that they had an expedition there and they were up in the mountain. So we could sleep in their dining room. Right. And then I started from, from there. And um, yeah, then going down, I, I get lost from the mountain. That was kind of fun right. too, yeah. Yeah, and you end up perilously close to the that north face ri- that ridge, right? The drop off. Yeah, it was um, it was strange. Like I I think like now, like I has been talking with a lot of doctors and and start to understand why I had I had a blackout period during a few mm-hmm. minutes. So actually, I was climbing and it was fine. It was windy, so like the tracks and the uh, it was covered. Like uh, even like in spring climbing, you cannot talk about alpine style because even if I wasn't using the fixed ropes, like it's it's the second leather or the third leather in the second step that I use it. Mm-hmm. And then it's the fixed ropes there. So like, even if you don't use it, like it's easy to, to follow the way because they are there. But during the second ascent, uh, with all the bad weather, like uh, it was uh, snowing a lot, uh, and windy, so all the ropes and all the tracks were covered. Um, but that was okay. And in the way down, uh, I remember very well, like until I reached the 8,300 meters. But from there, I have like a blackout period. I right. don't know what it happened. And like the you next don't know how you got there. Like I think you said, you thought you were going to wake up from a dream and be at base camp. Yeah, yeah. Because from there, like the next memory was like I was down climbing something technical in a big phase. I'm not, I was not anymore in a ridge where I was supposed to be, but in a big phase, snowy, rocky. And it's like, where I am, what I'm doing here, um, it's this dream because I didn't have any connection with the last memory, so mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was reality or if it was a bad dream and I was going to wake up in the base camp. And yeah, the, the bad or the worst thing, it was like, I didn't know where I was. so. I didn't know if I was in the northeast phase or in the north phase or in the south phase. So it was like, okay, it's in the middle of the night, it's bad weather, I'm in a phase and I I have no, absolutely no idea where I am. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast, dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities, of resources, and apps available. 
I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, Waking Up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. So how do you keep it together? How do you avoid panicking? How do you avoid you know, your emotions getting the best of you when you're in a moment like that? Yeah, I think that's, that's uh, what you need to prepare for and to feel, uh, as I said before, feel confident in situations that you are not supposed to be confident and uh -huh. to be comfortable is it's exactly these kind of situations. And I think it's, uh, it's just to, to really accept and to, to mentally accept before going to an expedition what you can find there and to not be surprised when these situations arrive because they are possible. And I think uh, when I was there, it was like, it was more like a checking saying, okay, I I am cold. No, I will not uh, die because I I will have like frost vibes uh, or like uh, hypothermia. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel any edema, like a brain edema or, or lung edema. So I was saying, okay, this is okay, this is okay. The only problem is that the night, uh, and I don't know where it is, but I will not die because it's night and I will not die because I don't know where, it, where I am. So then it was like, okay, I just need to, to figure out 
these two things, like the night is easy, like you, you wait until it's daylight so you mm -hmm. can see where you are. And then it was mostly to to know that. And I was physi physically feeling good. So I was thinking, okay, I'm at 8,000 meters. At that time I was between 8,200 and 8,000 meters. I was thinking, okay, if I'm by, I don't know how, in the south face and I need to climb up again to 8,500, it will be hard, but I feel like physically okay to doing it. So I wasn't afraid of like mm -hmm. uh, need to go up again or to, yeah. Right. So course. just like really to com compartmentalize all of these things and be as logical as possible and not let your emotions or any fear creep into how you're making those decisions. Yeah, I think uh, emotions up in high mountains are are dangerous and it can be fear. Like uh, if you panic in a situation like that probably you do mistakes and, yeah. and then you fall, but also like euphoria, like if you are summiting and in the summit, like you start to, to have like adrenaline and you start to feel, wow, that's done. And, mm -hmm. and like excitement, then probably during the downhill, like you will do mistakes because you don't take care. So I think both good and bad emotions up there, like any emotion is bad in a, mm -hmm. yeah, in normal, yeah. So that's something I would imagine you've just learned over the many years of just always being in the mountains and being in, you know, countless situations where risk was a huge factor. Yeah, more yeah, we learn a lot of mistakes, I would say, and doing mistakes, having accidents or doing stupid things. Uh we all do and 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 these situations that you when you come home is like wow today it was very, very stupid. And it's there when you learn, when you say, okay, next time I need to do better. Yeah, and your your adventures have not been without some consequences to some loved ones. I mean, I know you were out with Emily and you know, outside Chamonix and you had to be rescued and you've lost a couple friends. Um, so I would imagine that, does that weigh on you when you're out there? Sure. like. Um we do an activity that we know that it's uh, possibly like we can die there in mm -hmm. the mountain and it's nothing that we look we, we are not uh, doing that because the because we are close to death but uh, because we are alive when we're doing but is the possibility of of uh, yeah of an accident and and when you have some close calls it can be like, uh, yeah, some friends that they die by your side, or it can be like some accidents. But all the times, uh, I think it's funny that when you start to do uh, mountaineering, like you are afraid about your capacities because you don't know yourself, but you see the mountain as something solid, that it's, uh, it's there, it's like a ball or it's something. And more you go into the mountains, less you are afraid about yourself, like you know better your capacities, your technique, your experience, but you see that the mountain is moving and it's, uh, it's dangerous there that you, you don't see, but they are there. So you are more afraid about, about the mountain. So it's this thing that, it's many things that you cannot control. Like you can think logically, but then it avalanches come where it's supposed to not, or like uh, some rock fallings and things. And you need to accept in a way that that's part of it, that, it's many things we can control, but it's some of them that is not possible to do. Yeah, I mean, I look at you as somebody who, despite all of your accomplishments, um, uh, you know, is is very humble. Like you have a very healthy relationship with humility, 
And not to project, but I would imagine that comes from an appreciation and respect for nature. Like you're never gonna beat the mountain, right? And if you don't have a respect and a healthy level of humility when you're attempting these challenges, then you're putting yourself at great peril. So it keeps you like sort of right-sized about everything. Yeah, seeing conquering mountains is, is a very, very uh, ironic word. I think like we are not conquering mountains, like we can conquer ourselves and the mountain is where we, is this big mirror where we see ourselves, but but we can never pretend to to be fighting against the mountain or to be fighting against nature because first of all, because we are part of it. Like we we are part of the nature. So I think it's important to to pass there lightly so we can only see our four steps, but we like leaving no trace is not only like about uh, leaving rubbish, but it's also about like uh, being being accepted by the mountain or being try yeah kind of like being there, but trying to don't aggress the mountain. And mm -hmm. I think on a way, I don't think that if you don't aggress the mountain, it will respect you more. But at least it keeps you aware of like, okay, you are really, really nothing. You are very, very small, even if you are like, and especially because the sports, it's so much about ego and, and how the sport is organized. Like you win a race and you are in a top of a podium that it's like, it's something very artificial, like why you are better mm -hmm. because you run faster than the guy that is second on one, the one is third or the one is last one. So it really like, building kind of this egocentric uh, uh, mindset, uh, how a sport is organized so you can think, and it's easy to believe that you are someone good or that you are better than others. And especially in mountains, that's very dangerous. And, and at the end, like it will put uh, in your side, like, uh, yeah, you are nothing. Right, yeah, that's super interesting. Um, you know, and, and I think impactful coming from somebody who's, I mean, you basically won every big race that there is to win. Um, you stood atop all these podiums until there was really no no challenge left for you to conquer other than it, it seems to make perfect sense in retrospect that you would then go onto this summits of my life experience because just you and the mountain and you without any fanfare, or, well, there's probably some fanfare <laughs> wherever you go, but but you know, without the structures and the kind of logistics of, of, of racing to be able to just go out on these mountains and, and make it as pure as possible and see how fast you can go up and back and have that experience just for yourself. Yeah, I, I, I am like, I normally like solitude. And I like, uh, yeah, kind of like being alone, being alone with uh, with uh, mountains. It's it makes sense on the way that it's this feeling, like this feeling of feeling very small. It's it's really interesting, I think, and and facing yourself. Mm -hmm. And of course, in racing, you can find great challenges because, like racing at the end, like at the beginning, it was like a pure competition motivation, like. I want to win the race or I want to become world champion or, 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 or whatever. And that really drive me to, to achieve that. And I think it, it's a very interesting process because having this goal in mind, you put so much effort, like it's, it's easy to train very hard if uh -huh. you have this goal in mind. 
but at the end like when you achieve the goal it's like the satisfaction it's 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 a second but then it's like okay what what next and of course like doing the same process is not as exciting but uh, actually i think now and now racing it's it's cool because it it gives me like both like uh, a motivation to to train hard to do some kind of trainings like seeing young people that it's going very fast like uh, and wanted to beat them is like what uh, maybe sometimes when i'm training like it gives me this like more yeah motivation to to push a bit more the bottom uh-huh. and then it's also a good checklist like uh, if you are racing and you are doing good performances it means that you are in uh, okay shape mm-hmm. so uh, i think that's that's important after foregoing to mountaineering because it means that i'm keeping good in good shape and then that i can use this racing shape for for going to mountains but there i know that at the end like i will be by myself and it's it's only yeah, yeah. a fight against yourself yeah well a couple interesting things about <clears throat> your training and your racing and your preparation uh you don't have a coach you haven't had a coach since you were a kid right yeah, since uh, since I was uh, 17 years old, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you learned yeah. everything there was to learn from that coach. Yeah. And now you go you go out and from what I understand, like you don't really create training plans. It's more of a, this is how I feel today and I'm gonna go out in the mountains for two hours or 10 hours or maybe I'll decide when I'm halfway out there how long I'm gonna be out there. Yeah, well, uh, no, it's not. It's not that fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No. no, no. Like, all I right. Mean, so explain. Yeah, uh, actually, yeah, I, I, I was uh, with a coach until I was seventeen. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of learning the basics, like uh, to be methodic and like to to follow like kind of different what what it uh, happens when you do these uh, uh, volume trainings or when you do like mm-hmm. uh, short intervals or long intervals. So I had this basic, and then. I I like to study. Like uh, I spend a lot of hours every week, like just reading uh, articles that they come about uh, physiology, that they come about psychology, that they come about training, uh, looking to what other people is doing out there, both in 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 climbing and in ultra running, but also like in athletics and in uh, like uh, cycling. And so right. I I really like to read uh, these subjects to understand how the body works and to try things. And especially I like to to try things like uh, to see how it works. For example, um, uh, both in training, like for example, doing 30-30, like 30 seconds super fast and, and then uh-huh, resting 30 right. seconds. Like during some periods of time, I wanted to really push that to the limit. So I was doing that like as long as possible during like three hours or like doing that only 30 30s like all the time yeah and then like saying what it was happening the next week or and are doing... you journaling that and writing it down so you can look back and yeah, yeah. i have i have an excel with like all the trainings and all oh, you the do? descriptions yeah, yeah, yeah. since 2003 uh-huh. so yeah i, I yeah. memorize everything it, it, it strikes me as somewhat you strike me as very similar to Alex Honnold in your approach and your lifestyle and this, you know, the the, the purest aspect in, in what you do. And I think what gets missed um, in Alex's story, maybe not so much now that the documentary is out, is the rigorous preparation that goes into his free solo climbing. And, and it's the same with you. Like people want to think, well, you're just out there doing whatever, but you're very methodical in your own way 
about how you approach your training and your racing and the feedback that your body is giving giving you. I mean, I read, didn't you create also like this spreadsheet of this chronology over the course of history of what's required to go fast in the mountains? Like you're a student, yeah. right? You're a scholar of the sport and the human the human physique. Yeah, I can be geek sometimes. And yeah, I have some friends yeah. that they are on that. No, I think it's, it's interesting and especially like to to understand what has been done before and and to understand what's uh, what's going on. Yeah, studying, I think it's what makes us uh, interest to, yeah, like if we read a lot what's going on and and if something new is it's, it's happening, to, to understand why and to understand how and to try to apply that. And I know that many things uh, I can try or I, I can read, like I would not be able to, to, to use by myself because mm -hmm. I have not the capacities, but it's interesting to try and to see if it's working or not. And sometimes this, uh, this test or these uh, things can work on me and other times it, it can work for other people, but it's interesting to, to try it, yeah. What is something that, that you've changed uh, like over the last couple of years in, in how you approach your training that was different than what you were doing maybe, I don't know, five or six years ago? Um, I would say that I, I take a bit more care about resting today but that's not fully true because I don't rest much. You don't, yeah, uh, you don't but, really periodize uh, or taper at all from what no, I gather. But, but, but tapering, I think, like when you see, like, for example, the, the marathon athletes like uh, Elliot Kipchoge or these guys, like they don't do much either. Like mm -hmm. they train very yeah, hard true. until it's last true. week. Um, but I think like on, on planning seasons is important like uh, to find some some periods. But mostly I would say like, now, uh, I think with the base of the last uh, 15 years of training, I'm able to to perform in a okay level without doing very specific training. Mm -hmm. So like only like training average, like I'm able to do some good results in, in long and short distance. But then uh, it's more about like th this specific training, like as I say, like for Everest, it was this acclimatization and doing this very hard intensity training for uh, in, in very high altitude. That was very interesting. Or like, uh, so I think now maybe it's like I have already the base and during these last years is these more specific trainings that I can put for some period that this right. period can go from one week to, to three, four weeks. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, yeah, that's what they changed. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's not unusual for you to go out and train seven, eight hours in the mountains. And I think you, you go, like, you can go out for seven hours without even any water, right? You don't bring a lot of stuff with you. It's not like you're packing a ton of food and drink. When you did Denali, you only had like a liter of water for that 11 hours. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, no, it's, um, that, that's the double I have in my second Everest <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, it's it frozen. Like, so, yeah. Oh. No, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I can't train for like 10 hours without any water right. or food. Uh, and I think- have they st Has somebody studied that? Like, what is it that allows you to do that? You're just so efficient. I think it's years of doing, like I remember like mm. when, when we were kids, like maybe seven, eight years old, like we were sometimes with my mother to do like a 10, 15 hours walk and we didn't bring water. Right. So we were very, very thirsty, but, uh -huh. but I think 
doing that like I don't want people to start now to run ten no, hours. No, yeah, let's be work. clear. Yeah. This is you're not <laughs> yeah, advising yeah. anyone no. to do this. But you you started. <laughs> but I it's mean, important, yeah. When you were a teenager, didn't you try? You tried to see how many days you could go like training without eating. You went yeah. like five days until you passed out or something. Yeah, and, and that's what I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- that's what I was saying before. Like it's it's Please very interesting. Please don't do this at home. No, but but it's it's very interesting to know where are your limits and and to to experience yeah. that by yourself. Like that time, like it was like many times when you are in a race and you 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 miss one uh, aid station. It's like okay, I don't have food, and you start to panic. Or whatever, like it's not because you miss that that mm-hmm. you will lose your race. And I think if you know, like when that time, like I was uh, 17 years old and I was in university, and I was like far away from the racing season, so it was like. Yeah, why to see how the body can be efficient in different metabolisms right. and how far away. So it was very interesting because I, I stopped eating and I was training like not a lot, but like the normal, like three, between two and four hours in the morning and one hour in the afternoon. Yeah, not so much. Yeah, no, but like not very, very long yeah, days. Yeah, I gotcha. Uh, and then like the the first day, like you are okay. The second day you are hungry, uh, but actually the endurance is the same. Like I was able to run almost the same pace for the four hour run. Mm. The only difference it was like, I lose like a power and speed. Like I wasn't able to do a sprint and this was keep going. Like the endurance, I almost didn't lose at all during five days. Then I pass away and, and yeah, I was really close to, to the mm-hmm. university. So I wake up and I was going to do it. But, but then it's interesting because you know, okay, until five days, I don't really need to worry or like I know that the fat are burning or, and, and I think then the body starts to be also more efficient on, on how to use uh, mm-hmm. energy. You also uh, cross train quite a bit. Uh, you're skiing all winter, you're mountaineering, you're doing a variety of different things. Um, and I would presume that keeps you fresh and keeps you from burning out. You know, you see a lot of ultra runners who um, explode on the scene. They have a season or two in which they're crushing it and winning races. And then they either overtrain or they get injured. And then it's very difficult for them to have a presence at that level once again. And you've been able to maintain, um, you know, a consistent presence at the top for, for many, many years. I mean, it wasn't until like the last year that you even really had any injuries. Yeah, yeah, as you say, it's um, it's uh, it's interesting to see why, how yeah why how many athletes they burn out after two seasons, and that's very common in ultra running, and probably because uh, people is training running so so much like so many miles every mm-hmm. week during during uh, like many years, so I think the the mileage there it it really affects so. Combining with other activities like uh, it can be cycling or uh, I do like skiing like during six months like from November to to end of April I don't run a sing- single day it's mm-hmm. only only skiing so like uh, doing endurance activities but that they are not the same movements and both for the mind like to to change and to be excited to run and to and for the and for the body like to use other muscles and other articulations it's uh, yeah it's very healthy yeah. Um, what was it like being injured really for the first time this past year? I mean, you had two 
shoulder surgeries, and then you broke your fibula, yeah. which had you in a boot for a while, although you still managed to get on a bicycle and ride around with a boot on and do a push-up or two. Yeah, yeah. No, I think like injuries, like uh, the first one I really, like uh, I the shoulder uh, surgery, it was something I wanted to do, so it was not not like I had an accident, and the day after I right. I stopped. It so like it was a persistent thing that you just had to deal with. No, I need to do one time. I was saying, okay, I do now, and uh-huh. so then you enter in a mindset, okay, of doing that. So I used that time to to read a lot. So uh, when I was like reading all the this chronology of of things, uh, and and then like studying also like a, a lot of physiology. Um, so it was kind of fast going because it was things going on and I was prepared for that but then for sure the fibula it was just an accident I had a ski accident in a race so that was a bit more like okay it has been like three months stop and now like Mm -hmm. two months like on and and back again so I wasn't worried about coming back to shape because I knew that after like some recovery it will be okay but it was more like okay now it's like one or two more months like without doing anything sit, that's probably the first time in your life you had to literally sit in a chair yeah, yeah yeah it was long then also like i didn't tell my doctor all what i was doing uh-huh. so it was like uh, i was uh, starting to cycle like with the with the with the, the ferula yeah with the boot so i was uh, starting cycling. okay it feels away so after two weeks i tell my doctor can I start cycling? He started to say, yeah, you can start mm-hmm. to do some easy things. But you'd things. already been doing it. Yeah, and yeah. same with running. Like I was running some long distance things and then he was saying, yeah, you can start gently. Uh-huh. So um, that's not an advice for people either. Like yeah. <laughs> listen to your doctor, but I think it's, uh, you can do things like uh, at the first uh, weeks, like I could work a bit more my upper body or I can work a bit the other leg. So I think not stopping completely it's important for, like for trying to move fast. however you could. And then yeah. you ended up, I think it was three and a half months after you suffered the injury, you won the Marathon de Mont Blanc. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, I didn't know how I would, I would be, so that was interesting on that. But uh-huh. uh, yeah, no, it was good. Yeah. I mean, how much running were you able to get in before that race? Yeah. I was able to run during one, yeah, like one month, I would uh-huh. say, or yeah, something like three weeks, one month. And uh, yeah, like I did some long days, some very, very long days, and, and then some short, uh, short running. But, um, but yeah, I, was, like, I wasn't afraid about the amount of running, but I was more afraid about the speed, like on yeah. going a downhill very, very fast. Yeah, if yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, speaking of, of downhill, I mean, that's really where you shine and where your style kind of comes through. You're like this ballet dancer, uh, you know, t- prancing down these mountains, you know, precarious, very technical trails with just incredible agility that even the best ultra runners, you know, marvel at. And there's all these videos of you with a GoPro attached to your head and you're like on the precipice of some ridge where it's thousands of feet down in each direction and it makes everybody's palms sweat. Uh, so. It begs the question of your relationship with fear. I mean, people would say, oh, well, he's, he, he's not afraid. He doesn't have fear, but that's not really accurate, is it? No, and first I think it's two things. Like fear, like it's important to keep you alive. Like if we were not afraid of anything, like we would climb uh, uh, 
30 floors building and jump because we are not afraid to die and, and we would die. So like fear, it keeps us alive, like because it tells us, okay, you are not ready for that mm -hmm. or, or you, you cannot do that. And in the other way, like uh, every person have uh, uh, different skills on what is used to do. Like uh, I, for me, probably it's more dangerous to be like walking in New York or like uh, Los Angeles in the streets because like I'm not a city person at all. Uh -huh. So I would start to cross um, the streets without looking the, That would be the most and, afraid you would ever yeah, be if so, that was your life. Because you are not used to that. But if uh -huh. you are every day in the mountains, it's like when you are in the highway, if you take your wheel and you just turn it, probably you will uh, just uh, have, have an accident but you don't do that. Mm -hmm. So it's the same in the mountain, like you put the feet in the good place, like, and you don't fall. So if you are, if you know how to run, like then mm -hmm. you will not fall, yeah. Yeah, and we should probably talk a little bit about your upbringing. I mean, you grew up in the mountains, your parents were guides, right? So you were hiking and mountaineering from as long, as far back as you can recall. Yeah, it's I didn't have my Egyptians, yeah, yeah, skit. Uh, no, sure. Like um, my my father was a mountain guide, and 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 my mother she was also uh, passionate about uh, about mountaineering. So since we were children with my sister, like we were going to to do some summits or to do some crossings. Uh, so that was kind of like everyday, uh, yeah, everyday activities were like going out out in the nature, out in the mountains. So it was. I don't think it affects much like on on physiology, like on how my body was built, maybe between the ankles or that, but it's mostly about being comfortable and, and to 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 read the, the landscape. Mm -hmm. yeah. When did you first realize that you had this talent? Or I, I don't think I have a, a like I, I am good running, but I don't think it's a is a big talent, but um, why not? Um, it's 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 a stupid thing. Like it's just it's running. Like it's yeah. to put a feet after the other, and that's all. But uh, but you recognize that you have some gifts. Uh, I yeah. Like I think like I have a morphology that it's adapt for for running, and that's like of course like if I if my dream was to be a, a, a basketball yeah. yeah. Like yeah. probably I would not go far, even if I put a lot of work because I'm like one one seventy. Uh -huh. So, but uh, then it's it's work. I think like yes, the the, the morphology uh, and and some genes give you something, uh, and then you need to put a lot of work. And I think I think it was mostly like when I was like teenager, I. I wanted to do that and I prioritized that over other things. So mm -hmm. I didn't want to socialize or I didn't want to go parties or I didn't want to go after school to do something. I, when I was after school, I wanted to go training and perform. So I think it's during that time that you start to choose your way and yeah, put mm -hmm. hours on it. Um, your coming out party was, was it uh, UTMB when you were like 20 or 21? Was that like the first time where everybody kind of knew who you were? Yeah, yeah. That it first be, race where you were like winning by a ton and they thought you were cheating? Yeah, it no one had ever heard of you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was funny because like I, before that, like I, I already like won some uh, sky races or like a ski mountaineering uh, World Cup and things. So I knew I had the level 
to one UTMB, like, and I prepared the race very well, like I was doing mm-hmm. during doing uh, the the round in in two days, and, and and I knew that I was able to run in in less than twenty hours. So I say, okay, it, I I can win that, and if nothing happens, like I will be winning. But then, like uh, I think uh, the the ultra running world at that moment it was very very close. So like it was, they didn't think that someone young could. Uh, could uh, win a race and we see today like it's almost only like a uh, young guys right. winning the races but, but at that, that time, time yeah it was much older people who'd been around for a long time yeah you didn't so, just show up out of nowhere and win a race no no like uh, at that moment i was already i had already like eight years of racing and performing so uh but it was just that the people of ultra running they didn't look around they only look to ultra running so mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't know like what other people was doing right you were you were crushing it in in skiing ski mountaineering and all these other races yeah yeah like this this same year yeah or the year before i won the sky running world cup and uh and the sky, ski mountaineering so it i think uh yeah i i think in ultra running experience is important but it doesn't matter if you put like from 30 to 40 years old or from like 20 to 30 or from 10 to, to 20 years old. So it's just like you need to have the amount of miles, but it uh-huh. can be before or after. Right. And in that race, you were like winning by a ton and then near the finish, they detained you for like an hour and questioned you and yeah. made sure you had the right gear or wanted to know like what was going on. And then they released you and you still won by an hour. Yeah, yeah, it was like, I don't have a very good memory of, of this first edition uh-huh. because I, I put a lot of uh, like, uh, yeah, I, I really wanted to do the race. And for me, like run 100 miles, it was like, I will be able to do it. So I didn't adapt about like going fast, but I was adapting about uh, keeping the distance. Mm-hmm. So during the race, it was very cool. And then they st- started to stop me like uh, to check the gear, like it was a mandatory gear at the time or now too, but and they were checking me like if I had all the gear and they checked me that like for five times during the race and all the time it was there. So uh, one hour before finishing, like just at the top of the last climb, they stopped me and uh, they give me the radio to the, organi- to the race director and it was like, mm-hmm. okay, we know you are shitting somehow. Uh, you stop here one hour, like we will find what are you doing? And then we decide if we let you finish or not. And it was like, what's going on here? And like, right. I, I wanted to quit at that moment. <clears throat> I, I, I just say, okay, let's uh, let's go home and, and, and keep in ski mountaineering and sky running. Yeah, screw, because it's, screw you guys. Screw, and, yeah. and then it was actually one, uh, one guy there, uh, a friend that was saying, no, no, just uh, calm down, like uh, keep going, finish, and like you will see that everything is good. But uh, mm-hmm. at that moment it was, yeah, not. Right. How do you think about um, ultra running, how it, this explosion of growth that it's that it's had over the course of your career? I mean, what it is now versus what it must have been like back even, I mean, 2008 wasn't that long ago, but it's changed quite a bit. It's become so popular. Yeah, in, in 10 years it has changed. Uh, like at the beginning it was um, more an easy sport. It was uh, mm-hmm. not that many people, it was just a few races. And yeah, in, in 10 years, it's like races everywhere. I don't know how many hundred miles is in in US, but it's like hundreds of hundred miles. And and that's uh, that's insane. It's like one race every weekend at least. And 
and uh, so many participants like races about it races in Europe with more than 10,000 runners and uh, the, the good thing I think is that it keeps the the like the soul of the sport like it's uh, not preformatting to something like a, like a illogical like I think the beauty of the sport is to do logical things like as UTMB for example is running around the mountain that's something like you would do like just for fun or like a western stage is from A to B like in a, in a nice place and I think every race have his charm and it's not only like about performance but like the soul yeah the soul and it keeps it's interesting I don't think it's a it's uh, of course like it's an elite of the like some fast runners that we want to go on races and we want to perform but that's not the big part of the sport the big part of the sport is that everybody can feel the same thing and like you can be a uh, uh, top athlete or you can be a new beginner and you can be in the same race uh, mm -hmm. doing the same uh, path and, and experiencing something similar and at least for the moment, I think it's keeping that, and that's very that's that's yeah. important. And the community, you know, it's an unbelievable community of people. And you being somebody who likes your alone time, who likes to be out in the mountains by yourself, I mean, I I also see somebody who who really embraces and loves the community, and that that's that's a big driver for you. I mean, you race all the time. You're at all of these races. Like I don't know, you're 15 or 20 of these a year. It seems like. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, racing, as you said. Community is something that it's uh, it's important because it's it's, it's what makes the sport living. Like if it's only like if it would be like only top athletes racing by themselves, it 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 has not sense. And it's because it's this, and I think it's a uh, it's a cool community. It's people that loves uh, loves like challenging themselves, loves the sport, but mm -hmm. they also like. It's sort of a connection with nature. It's a, it's a connection with the with the places, and especially here in US, it's a big difference, I think, with Europe on how how these um, you need to be like kind of related to the to the community and to the place. Uh, with the like all the hundred mile races, almost they require like a um, a trail service, so you need to right. work on the trails uh, before you are able to. To, to register Purchase. for a race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's it's built into it. Yeah, I think that really cool thing is that it's it's not only about racing, but it's also like I think feeling you can feel the race in a racing perspective, but you can feel the race in a organizing perspective, in a volunteering mm -hmm. or in a pacing, and all all have the same importance. And I think here, especially in the US, it's you feel that much more that they respect, uh, yeah, they respect as much the pacer or the volunteer than, yeah. the, than the one that wins or than the, than the participants. Yeah, that's something that's really cool and unique about the world, I think. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. Do you think that you have a 
different relationship with pain and suffering than the average athlete? Like, how do you think about those things? Mm, I don't like pain, but I accept that it's part of the, yeah. of the job. Do you um, think that you feel it in the same way other people feel it? Obviously, you only have your own experience, but yeah. you have this ability to tolerate it at a pretty high level. I mean, was that hard rock race, you broke your collarbone at like mile 13 and still not yeah. just finished the race, but like won the race. Yeah, but like it's the arm. Yeah. Like you, you, you don't run with your arms, so it's like it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. It's, did you just like? Did you know it was broken right away and put it like harness it somehow? Like what did you actually do when that occurred? Yeah, it was very stupid of me. Like actually, uh, and I was a bit embarrassed. Like we were running, and it was in the beginning of the race, like mile. I think it was my like mile thirteen or something uh -huh. like that. And then it was this like small, like uh, just like maybe only like 50 meters snowfield. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, okay, I want to, like, it will be fun to go in this snowfield and do like skiing. And I was going there and I was like uh, gliding in the snow and then I completely lost the control. So I just, right. just hit the rocks after. And, and like I, you were I just trying her. to have a little bit of fun. Yeah. And uh -huh. then like, okay, it was like, okay, I'm so stupid. So I put the, the shoulder back and then it was okay during like maybe two, three miles because it was still warm, but then it started to be uh, cooler. So it started to be really painful, but then I figured out a, a way with the backpack, like to, mm. to lock the, the shoulder and so on. Like, uh, yeah, it was, I think when you are in a race, like you can really put yourself through pain. Like you just go on and like, you don't think too much about it. And, yeah. I mean, I would think that if the race was shorter because the adrenaline rush can carry you through something mm -hmm. like that. But when you're dealing with, you know, the number of hours that a hundred miler entails, I would imagine that wears off at some point. Yeah, yeah, I would not say it's pleasure. Yeah. It's not pleasant, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, like, yeah, it's, it's only pain, like it's, it's, if it's not something dangerous, like mm -hmm. if it was like, if you break a leg and you say, okay, if I continue, like it will be much worse, then it's stupid to continue. But if it's only pain, like I was thinking anyway, like what, if I stop now, I will go to the hotel and I will have pain anyway, because, because it will not go away. And, right. and I will just be sad because uh, I have pain and sad because I, I I am sitting here, I have been doing a long travel and, and I'm just sitting in a hotel. Uh -huh. So I will be sad because I have pain, but I can run. So, so yeah. I'll be less sad if I just yeah. keep running. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so like, that's bizarrely logical, I suppose, in some yeah. strange universe. <laughs> um, of all the things that you've done, what what has been the most challenging for you? Mm. Like, it's always easy when you have done something. Like, because you have been able to do it, then it looks, like, easy. Like, uh, you can put uh -huh. a lot of effort on doing something. But if you not fail, then it's like, okay, it was not that hard. So I think the, the hardest thing is always when you fail because like it means that you need to, like it was not enough. That's the teachable, um, the teachable moments. Yeah, I think so. And for, I think like one of the hardest uh, races I, I have been uh, feeling, it was a uh, Western stage 2010. Like 
I was completely unprepared. Uh, I, I was running a lot, a lot of uh, things like uh, long distance runs just the weeks before in, in Europe. I came here and I didn't think about like heat. I was thinking, okay, it will be hot, but I like hot mm -hmm. for me is like being uh, like more than 20 degrees uh, Celsius. That's a, uh, I don't know how that's in, in Fahrenheit, but it's like, like how we are now here in, in, uh, in Los Angeles mm -hmm. is way much hotter than right. for me it's hot. So then Western stage, it's, it's like around 90 some uh, uh, degrees and I didn't expect that at all. And I was thinking, okay, I just run like with, uh, without water and, and I will drink in the other stations. So then I started to get deshydrated and I started to, yeah. to have cramps on the body. And that was, yeah, for sure, like a big fight to the finish. Right. Is there any allure for you to um, tackle any of the road ultras like bad water or does it have to be in the mountains for you? Yeah, I'm not a fan of road. Like I normally only run in road yeah. when I cross from trail to trail. Right. Uh, but Avoid roads. Of all yeah. There's no New York Marathon coming up for you. No, no. Like no. on a way, like it's it's somehow like inter. Like I have always these boys here saying, I should try one marathon one time, or to try to to do like I don't know a 10k or or, or mm -hmm. a half or a, or a marathon because it's it's interesting in in terms of training, like I would like to train like flat during a period to, to be able to See run faster. And, but in the other ways, like I want to do that and that and that and that and that. So I don't find the time for doing that. So I would not say that I will never do a road marathon because mm -hmm. maybe one day I do, but yeah, for the moment, I don't think it's what I'm focused on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is, uh, What's driving all of this? Like, where does the motivation come from? Like, where is the muse? Like, what's what's behind the curtain here that's propelling you? Is I, it a sense of wanting to be the best version of who you are? Is it a search for excellence or perfection? Is it just connecting with nature? Like, what is the driving impulse for you? I think the, the driving impulse is it's, uh, happiness. Uh, simply, it's like to, to be happy. And uh, and that's uh, that's an easy answer, but it's a it's a deep answer too because where where I find happiness is is on on knowing myself, challenging myself, and and, and seeing who who I am, where mm -hmm. I can go, and and experiencing different things. I think it's a lot about experience and 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 experiencing uh, places, nature. Uh, bios like uh, I've run in places that they are beautiful and that's what it motivates me to go to one place or another is to why to go there it's to to see the views from that point and see the the beauty of the nature it's is one big motivation and if I can combine that with uh, with an inner challenge that it can be mm -hmm. be able like to put the question I'm able to progress and like I think achievement on the sense of like doing things that you think that, that they are not possible for you before, like all the effort you put to be able to change this status from impossible to possible, it's something that gives you a lot of, yeah. Uh, yeah. So is there a sense when you're looking at a challenge where you're like, oh man, that, that scares me or that, I don't think I could do that. And then 
that's what gets you interested? Or what does that calculus look like when you're trying to think about what the next adventure is going to be for you? Yeah, I think it needs to be in the in the edge of that. Like it needs right. to be, if it's something like, it's many races that you go there and you know that you will win. And then it can happen many things, but, but uh, you think, okay, with the people that's there or like with the preparation, is it will not be a surprise if I win, and mm-hmm. then like you finish, you win, but it's not an emotion because like it's not. Like uh, I already won this race ten times before. Yeah, or or, right. or not 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 that, but just like because you know that it's nothing that it's surprising, or that mm-hmm. it's nothing that it's putting you on challenge, uh, and I think the challenge is just where you you think okay that that's maybe possible or maybe not possible for me, and I think it's this line where it, because if you think okay I want to do like I want to run one marathon in uh, in two hours I know that that's impossible like completely impossible for me so that's that's not a, that's not a goal that's just a dream and 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 attempting that it will not make sense uh, uh, because it's uh, yeah it has not any possibility so I think you need to or like I find the challenge where it really like thinking, for example, I know that if everything goes perfect and uh, I feel that and with this preparation and with uh, all these things, it's a possibility to doing it. Right. There is the, the exciting point. So then what are you thinking about right now? Like where, what are you looking at at the moment that gives you that feeling? Well, uh, I like polyvalence, like uh, a fun season for me uh, and it's, it's not about the, the pure performance on one thing, but it's also like on like being able to to run like a hundred miles and a short distance and and do some nice climb, like to combine all these and be able to to be on yeah, performing well in both. It's it's kind of very exciting uh-huh. because it means like how to prepare uh how to prepare the, the different things at the same time. And the recovery and the different skills that that's very exciting in a point. Yeah. And then in um, like I think in in running itself, uh, like it's it's maybe like a few races that I would like to to perform a bit better. But yeah, like probably in trail running now is not where I get the more like excitement. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, yeah, in mountaineering, like last year Everest, like. It was very interesting for me, not because what I did, that it was like mm, not that big deal in a way, like, uh, but it was it mostly a little about, bit of a big deal. No, but, but like, but go uh, ahead. Or, no, but like okay. climbing Everest without oxygen, it has been climbed many times. Uh, uh, and and it, the only interesting thing was the recovery and the climatization. Mm-hmm. So that's what I learned, like how to acclimatize and how to, I was able to spend so many hours uh, in high altitude, and even if I wasn't feeling good, I was able to move. So that gave me ideas of like, why not to do some link ups mm-hmm. or like combine like long distance in high altitude. And I think that that can be interesting for right. A few that years. realization, that combination, your ability to handle the acclimatization and the recovery. Like, how can you then apply it to a new challenge that would be interesting? Yeah, I in think, a way that's looking yeah. forward too, because like people have said, well, do you want to go back to Everest and see if you can do it faster? And you're somebody who's always looking forward. Like that, 
that's not as interesting to you as finding yeah. something new. Yeah, especially like uh, I think it's it's always possible to go faster. Like, and when you do one time, you see the mistakes you have done. So, like, but going back and doing faster, like, it's it's uh, like it's a big travel. So it's better to do something different than than mm -hmm. the same time, just mm -hmm. like a few few minutes or hours faster. So, but like uh, I think in high altitude, like uh, link caps are very interesting. Meaning like, like going a, from one mountain to the next. Yeah, from one right. mountain to the other or like very long ridges, like yeah. uh, ridges between mountains, uh, because there you need to to be fast to 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 do it, mm -hmm. because the speed it's it's one, uh, the only possibility to spend, like uh, to do these distances in, in high altitude. Yeah. And the other is like, uh, yeah, you, it's a bit more challenging on, on, on technical skills. So these things are, yeah. Are, are interesting now. Yeah, and the ability to be creative, like you're sort of inventing this thing as you go. It's not purely running, it's not purely skiing, it's not purely mountaineering, it's this hybrid of all of these skills that you've been doing for a very long time and it's your ability to like take a paintbrush and like paint this canvas with what you're able to do in your own unique way. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I think looking to the past, like a lot of people have been doing a lot of things, so it's not that we are inventing anything, but it's interesting to to do, yeah, to to be able to look in a map or to be able to look in a in a mountain in a picture, and to imagine something to do because you you like to do it, not because it's something that it's uh, like famous or something that it's. Uh, uh, on the history or everything, I just like to be there and say, okay, that looks like amazing to do. Like it looks fun to to run from this ridge to the other, or to to look them up and say, like, wow, that looks really fun to to follow this line. Right. Well, now that you're so well known, I mean, you're this you know kind of global figure. When you make a decision about what your challenge is going to be, there's a lot of people who are like paying attention to that and have an opinion about it. You know, do you, are you able to like block all of that out and have the clarity to just do what your heart is telling you to do? Or do you find yourself being influenced by all these externalities that really weren't part of the equation when you began all of this? Like we are always influenced and, and like it's influence can be good and can be bad. And, and I think it's, 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 uh, it's me or it's yourself and we need mm -hmm. to, to decide which influences are cool or not. And, and I think it's many that they are really great. Like, and especially today, like for example, social media, I think that it has a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. And the good things is that now we can see like what uh, uh, other people is doing. And I don't know, like for example, you are saying like uh, Alex Honnold, like what he's doing, it's uh, very different of what I'm doing, but uh, it gives me a lot of inspiration for doing some things or what uh, Colin Halley is doing or uh, what uh, other other runners, and that can give me ideas of what right. to do. So that's like good influences. And then it's also like the, what I say, bad influences that these people saying, ah, you should do that, or like, you should do that in this way, or like it can be mm -hmm. like the, 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 the pressure like you could feel from, I don't know, like uh, press or like, uh, or fans or a sponsor or that. But I, I think I'm, I'm in a moment where I don't really care about uh, this much, and I know, like, okay, I I I run and I 
I do racing and that's uh, on a way like my, my way of living. But what I want to do in the mountains, it's more like for pleasure and for like mm-hmm. this kind of testing and, and, and seeing if things is possible. So I, I really want to do this on my way and, and, and the projects I, yeah. they really motivate. And especially because like, it's not a race that you can say, okay, even if I'm not motivated, I can go through. Like if you are doing a project in the mountains and if you are not 100% in there, like if it's a problem, it's not that you lose the race, it's that you die. So Right, the consequences yeah. are, are be, could not be, you know, could not be higher. Um, but I think on the lo- along the lines of, of um, the similarities between you and Alex, you know, Alex is somebody who has been very conscious and diligent about creating a lifestyle that's conducive to allowing him to do the thing that he loves the most, right? Like removing all of those external pressures and keeping his life um, very simple so that he has the most amount of time to do the things that not only he's best at, but that move him. Like, and, mm-hmm. and he's able to do what he's, what he's able to do because he's fully integrated. Like he takes this talent and this passion and what moves him and his heart and his passions and he puts it all together and it gets expressed when he climbs up El Capitan. And I see you as someone very similar. Like you made this conscious decision to leave Chamonix, to live in Norway where, you know, life is a little bit simpler and everything that you love is right outside your door and you can just go be the person that you're meant to be. And the races that you've won and the FKTs and Everest and all of that is just an expression of this passion. And you're this integrated human being who can take this, whatever God gift, gifted talent you have, combine it with what gets you excited and out of bed every morning and put it all together to express yourself in this way. That's almost, you know, it's as artistic as it is athletic. Yeah, it's, and it's, uh, I think it's hard to do that nowadays because we get so much with like inertia it it takes a lot of people Mm -hmm. today i think like we it's we tend to do what it's the simple thing the simple thing and 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 to try to do what's easy and what it's supposed to be and we don't take time to to find what we want to do and not what we are supposed to do and but then like when you find that that's what you want to do and to find that the the balance on that it's much like it's just the life is much better like everything around is much better but uh yeah i i suppose it's just like it needs to it needs some courage or it needs some like seeing sometime okay i don't want to do that and to be able to to say no i don't want to do that and i want to to cut on things and, and maybe that means less uh, media exposition or less money or less, uh, I don't know, uh, things that they are supposed to drive you through, uh, through success. But uh, mm-hmm. then like how you, how you count success is very different, yeah. Yeah, so what is living outside the comfort zone taught you? Like this, this ability to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, like how is that a teacher for you and what can be learned from that? Well, I think it, it teaches you, it's mostly decision-taking, uh, like how to, how to take decisions, uh, how you take the decisions in the, in the zone, like to be always exposed, like to not be 
sure about what's going on and to able to be really rational on on seeing very fast what are the the different consequences on each decision you are taking mm-hmm. at that period. I think that you can apply on, on, on life and you can apply on, on everything else. And uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, I think it's to be really cold blood, but uh, to be cold blood to, to follow your, uh, your emotions. And that's, that's kind of contradictory. But at the end, like is you want, you need to, to listen to your emotion or to listen to your to yourself to see where you want to go, what's the lifestyle you want to have, what's the things you want to achieve, and that that need to be your emotion that decides this. Mm-hmm. But then the decision taking through there it need to be really like a, a rational. Yeah. What what uh what what scares you the most? Um. Well, uh, many things I would say like. Uh, uh, of course, like uh, when going out, like uh, dying or like uh, having like a, a big accident, things like that. But um, I think uh, what scares me in more general is like where where are we going? Like uh, the the world. Like uh, now we see like all the environmental problems, and especially when you are in. In, uh, in these areas, like with a lot of glaciers, like you can see day by day almost how it's changing. Yeah. Um, so on this way, like where are we going as, as the planet? And uh, that's something that it's, it's occurring. Uh, yeah, and, and I think uh, that and where, where a society, like all the, the problems between humans that we have, uh, all the, the with, yeah, it's a lot of uh, yeah conflicts, human conflicts too, and I think that's that's more scary than than like dying. Yeah. <laughs> the future of humanity. Yeah, yeah. future of, of of yeah humanity, yeah. but humanity like at the yeah we are one species, more of the planet, so also the planet too. Yeah, the planet too. Well, the planet would be fine without us. Yeah, no, be that, much that's for off, sure. Actually. Yeah, that's for sure. No question yeah. about that. Yeah. As somebody yeah. who's seen much more of it than yeah. than I, you can attest to that. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Um, people misunderstand about you? Um, uh, I don't know. I don't care, I think. <laughs> like, yeah. But uh, no. That's healthy. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, it's like probably like uh, the first years, like when you get attention, you are, you get attention and you want to, to, to take care of this audience, I would say. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the end, like uh, you need to be yourself and you need to do things that you do, and you know that some people will like you, some people will not like you, some people will understand, some not. But if you put your life only to 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 make a solution on that, like to mm-hmm. then like you will not live your life. So yeah. Yeah. Um, but it must be weird. It must have been weird when suddenly you started getting a lot of press and there's like New York Times and all these people are like writing about you and you're just like literally this kid who just likes to run long distances in the mountains. Yeah, sure that it's something that uh, is not that uh, I was looking for and, and it's something that, of course, like everybody likes attention and everybody likes like people liking uh, them. But... Uh, it also takes a lot of energy. Like I, 
I'm not very social or I'm not social at all. Like uh, I, I in general like to be kind of alone, like two persons, it's okay. Three, it's, uh -huh. it's too much. Yeah. Um, well, you're going to have three in your house soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope <laughs> that's okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's this kind of thing. Uh -huh. So, but uh, yeah, so then it, it needs to find a good balance with like this energy and these moments to, to recharge energy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what's a, what, if you could do anything in a typical day, like what does that look like? Just you going out your front door and getting lost in the mountains? Yeah, like a typical day, like it's just like waking up, like not very early, like 6.30, 7. Mm -hmm. I don't eat much breakfast normally. Like if I'm home, like just a glass of water and maybe, yeah, like one cookie or like Emily, she bakes cinnamon buns that they are delicious. So yeah. maybe one of those in the morning. Um, and then I go for a run in summer, ski in the winter, and depending like weather conditions and, and, and if I feel good, like that can be between two to, to five hours. Uh, or some days like I do longer, like eight, 10, 15 hours, but normally more like two to five hours. Mm -hmm. Then come back home, a bit of work, like mails and, and, and logistics, like preparing things. Uh, and then in the afternoon, normally I go for like one hour run or like one short training. Uh, some, I can go to the climbing gym or, or do some uh, small exercises home. And then I like reading. So in the afternoon, like I like to just take, take a book and, yeah. and read. What, what kind of stuff do you like to read? Um, uh, novels and uh, essays and things like, uh, like that. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, like uh, now, for example, now in this travel around, like I has been reading um, some Foster Wallace books and like some uh, Spanish books, mm -hmm. uh, like Catalan, Catalan authors or uh, uh, Milan Kundera, some mm -hmm. books of Milan Kundera or Alessandro Barrico. Yeah, I really cool. like them. Yeah. Do you have mentors in your life, like people that you seek advice from? Yeah, I have um, some people like... Uh, uh, Jordi Tos and Jordi Corominas is two, two, two Catalan climbers that they 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 were the first ones to took me to the Himalayas and actually the first expedition we did it was only the three of us we had like a, a small backpacks like a 30 40 liters backpack and we were going like from very far away to climb high mountains very minimalistic we were eating like one portion of leo food for the three of us per day so yeah. it was kind of this style and i always consult with them uh when things on that and probably uh, my first coach uh, jordi canals he he was the one that uh, started to coach me when i started the ski mm -hmm. mountaineering and we talk uh, almost every week about like uh training life and he's also very geek like mm -hmm. uh, when when i have doubts about like some uh, algorithm that i'm looking for like for training or uh -huh. for like uh, performance things or or things like that uh, yeah is the one to console and say yeah maybe we need to find a yeah. way there yeah and w uli steck was kind of a mentor as well right like you learned a lot about mountaineering from him yeah uli was uh someone that uh, first i admired a lot when when he was starting to or when I was starting to 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 race and to to be in the mountains, like he was doing all these things, incredible feats, and and it was like wow, what's that's that's incredible. 
And then actually we meet a few times. We were starting, we, we climb some things together. Right. And uh, only like going to a climb day with him, it was just like learning so much every, every second. Yeah. And then he passed away. You guys were both in Nepal, but on different mountains when that occurred, right? Yeah, actually, he was uh, in, in Everest in the south side, and I, I was in the north side. And uh, when, when it happened, I was uh, with Emily in, in Shoyu, um, and I just uh, get the news. And it's, yeah, it's uh, thing moments that like that are hard on a way because first you, you lose a friend, mm -hmm. but then like also because the, the value system you have, like... Uh, uh, everybody has like a way to look to to life or the activities we do, and 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 Uli had a, a way that as I was really inspired on, and we shared a lot of things. So when uh, he had an accident, or, or people that follow this way have an accident, it's like all this system of values is like falling down, and then it's like uh, all the questions like the risks we are taking are worth it, or like it's it's stupid uh, what I'm doing. I was there with Emily and it's like, okay, like I, I was uh, thinking of like Kuli's uh, wife and saying, okay, it's, it's, um, it's worth it or not. And yeah. I think at the end, like, it's what we need to live. Like it's, if we want to preserve life, like we will be in a coach every day, like just not going out because everything can happen. But at the end, like, uh, if we, if it's a possibility of dying, it means that we are living too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it puts you into um, in touch, in connection with something that we're all going to have to you yeah, know, suffer we, at some yeah. point. I mean, that's another thing I talked to Alex about at length. Like, I think he's able to live his life um, much more present and aware because it's so connected to death at every moment. And it, it, I think it infuses his life with a little bit more vitality and, and perspective. Like we, in America, we all sort of tend to believe it's not gonna happen and we try to you know, prevent any aspect of death for, from being in our you know, line of sight. Um, but when it's it so happens. close to yeah, you and it's happening, yeah, of course it's gonna, <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course it's yeah. gonna happen. And, and there's something about like, there's something healthy, I think about um, you know, connecting with it in that way. And you know, certainly, this is what you were born to do. Like, it's not like you're going to not do it. Um, and in some ways, it's honoring Uli for you to continue. You know what he would have wanted you to do. Yeah, no, I think it's like this connection with with the risk and with like seeing the death close. Like, it's it's very visual. Like uh, when yeah, when you are like soloing or when you are like steep skiing or like putting yourself in in some risky places, like. It's really visual, like mm -hmm. you say, okay, if I do that, I'm dead. But that's that's also in every day. It's only that we don't see, like I was saying, like when you are driving in a highway, like if you do a stupid thing, you will die, but you will not do it. But I think probably when you do these activities, like uh, in in mountaineering or or in climbing, like the f the feeling of like having the control of that. Like saying, okay, I I am controlling now, like on how I put my feet, on how I put my hands, on how I do this, on how I traverse this uh, place. I have the control of like living or dying. Mm -hmm. It gives you a sense of more responsibility thing about your life, and 
it's like with the playing it gives you also yeah this perspective on like i yeah like on only doing the things that you want to do and that they are important for you because you realize like it can go really fast so why to spend time doing things that they don't mean anything at yeah. the end and with that in mind then what is what is the legacy that you would like to leave when it's all said and done uh not one i think like just like that we need to to live our life as like uh, that it's that nothing we do is that i think we are so much about we want to leave a legacy or we want to to be remembered or we want to do something important and at the end nothing we do is important like it's yeah it's it's nothing and and i think when you realize that we are not important and what we do is not important then you realize how wonderful it is yeah well that's back to the humility or it's back to life and i think it's back to to being human and to being yeah, yeah just a just a small thing <clears throat> that's beautifully put well i need to uh release you to your life and let you <laughs> let you go but i want to close this down um by reading a passage at, at the end of your book that that really um struck me uh and i'm interested in in you elaborating on it and it goes like this a great athlete is one who takes advantage of the ability that genetics have brought him in order to secure the great achievements, but an exceptional athlete is one who can swim in the waters of complexity and chaos, making what seems difficult easy, creating order from chaos. Yeah, as you say, yeah. It's uh, order from chaos. That's that's performance, I would say, because it's so many things that uh, they are not supposed to to happen like that, and you are able to put all together. And that's uh, that's what's when you see when you see the path on a place that it's uh, it's rough, that it's not uh, logical, is when you can see clear. I think. Cool. Good talking to you, man. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for coming. Um, it was a pleasure. Uh, I appreciate it very much. Super inspiring. I wish you well, especially with the impending new arrival. Yeah, and, thank uh, you. Yeah. Good luck surviving the big city. Yeah, that here. will be harder than, than all the expeditions for sure. Yeah. yeah. If you uh, if you want to connect with Killian, he's easy to find on the internet. Uh, on Instagram's probably the best place, right? If people want to see beautiful pictures and. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, that's what I try to do, to put my eyes on, uh-huh. on beautiful places and put in Instagram. And uh, his book, Run or Die, um, I highly recommend it. It's a beautiful book. And the new documentary, which you're also promoting right now, about the, the, the Everest attempt. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we, are, we were working last year on, on putting the images of, of all. It's not only about uh, the Everest experience. Seb was there and Seb was filming mm. in the mountain, but it's also like... Summits of my life. Like yeah, all summits of, of my life. And, and coming back from why I ended up doing Everest on the way I did, mm-hmm. like all the, the moments in my life that were important to, to drive to there. And if people are listening who want to check it out, where where do they go to view it? Is it'll be streaming online? It will be streaming online, so like they they will be able to find in my social media or in my website. All right, cool. And I'll put a link up in the show notes to that so people can find it. Thank you. How do you feel? 
Ah, uh, feel good. Like, yeah, no, it's it's. What time is it on your internal uh, like clock in, right in, now? Like <laughs> the internal clock, like now, it's is it, it, not anymore here. It doesn't exist. <laughs> it doesn't right? exist. Yeah. We're, we have, <laughs> yeah, we yeah. Uh, we're beyond space and time right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Peace. Let's run it. Unbelievable, right? What a beautiful soul that guy is. I got to tell you, going into this, uh, I was nervous. I had a lot of trepidation in how I was going to navigate this interview. Uh, I was a little starstruck, a little intimidated, admittedly. Also, wasn't quite sure how developed his English language skills would be, but I just found him to be delightful. It exceeded my expectations on every level, and I really hope that you guys enjoyed him as much as I did. Please be sure to check out his new documentary, The Path to Everest. You can find that at summitsofmylife.com. Pick up his latest book, Summits of My Life, and his memoir, Run or Die, which I really love. And of course, links to all of these up in the show notes on the episode page at richroll.com. Also do me a favor and let Killian know how this one landed for you by sharing your thoughts with him directly on Twitter. He's at Killian J. And on Instagram, he is at Killian Journey, which you should definitely follow him there. He posts the most beautiful, amazing photos from his daily training routines. Uh, plus, don't forget to hit me and DK up with thoughts on his 2019 goals with the hashtag DKGoals on Twitter. Uh, if you're looking for additional nutritional guidance, check out our meal planner at meals.richroll.com. Thousands of plant-based recipes, all customized based on your personal preferences. We have unlimited grocery lists, grocery delivery in most metropolitan areas. We have amazing customer support from trained health and diet coaches available to you seven days a week, all for just $1.90 a week when you sign up for a year. So to learn more, go to meals.ritual.com or click on Meal Planner on the top menu on my website. If you would like to support the work that we do here on the podcast, it's easy. Tell your friends about your favorite episode. Hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on YouTube, wherever you enjoy this content. Share the show on social media. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can support the show on Patreon at richroll.com forward slash donate. I want to thank everybody who helped put on the show today. Jason Camiello for audio engineering, production, show notes, interstitial music. Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin for videoing and editing. And Jessica Miranda for graphics. DK for advertiser relationships and additional production. And theme music, as always, by Anna Lemma. Thanks for the love, you guys. See you back here in a couple few with another great episode of Guru Corner with guess who? Guru Singh. That's right. It's going to be amazing. Until then, don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to get lost in nature, to dream, to extend yourself outside of your comfort zone, and to be yourself. Do not be afraid to live. Peace, plants, nature, the mountains.